All right, guys, so, you know, we've got someone special. Uh, I've known him since high school. I uh, we went to grade 12 together. Um, yeah, he is one of my closest friends. Uh, you know what, he's, uh, there's been some times in my Christianity that I you know, felt like quitting, felt like giving up. And if it wasn't for Underwood, your pastor, if it wasn't his friendship, and also same with Mary as well, you know what, we wouldn't be here today because it's strong friendship like with this couple is able to invest into our lives and made us who we are today. Obviously God, but their friendship has helped us a lot. And so I want to welcome my, one of my good friends, one of my best friends, uh, Pastor Sean Reeves. Let's welcome him as he comes to the stage tonight. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for that introduction. Very grateful. And uh, the feelings are always uh, and definitely mutual. Um, I wouldn't be saved if it wasn't for Pastor Bobby. Uh, so if you come to this church, uh, you have a great man. And also my wife, uh, Mary, wouldn't be saved if it wasn't for Sister Zara. It's crazy, right? Zara won Mary to Christ. They went to school together. Bobby won me to Christ. We went to school together. And we married each other. Crazy situation. <laughs> uh, but uh, we're grateful and we're rejoicing. And now, uh, what's, what's even more crazy is we are literally only pastoring 15 minutes away from each other. Uh, so it's amazing how things happen. That was 15 years ago when we gave our lives to God. Uh, and now we're literally in Logan pastoring uh, and preaching in each other's churches and different things like that. God is so good. And if you would serve Him for long enough, I want to encourage you. Uh, he'll take you on exciting journeys just like that. You have no idea whatsoever uh, could be set into motion through your decision of faith or repentance and receiving Jesus. And uh, it's an exciting, exciting thing. So let's see what God does over the next few days. I'm anticipating good things. But firstly, tonight, I just want to appreciate you. So thank you so much for coming. Uh, being Lead Church, first and foremost, I appreciate you for uh, being able to host this revival and put this on for, for the community. Uh, people from Underwood, I know many people from Strathpine are here as well couple of the young guys from Kabulcha are here. I know maybe they were thrown in the boot of a car from some Strathpine people and brought down. Uh, either way, I'm, I'm grateful for everybody that's here tonight. And I know that we're going to have a great time uh, looking into God's Word. Before we do anything else, can, can, I, can we just go back a couple of minutes? That song service, was that crazy or what? Uh, I'm there praising God thinking, this is insane. This is anointed. This is amazing. Uh, I'm just literally the first song about joy. I, I, was, I was living joy. My face started to hurt by the end of the song. I was smiling so much just at the incredible worship of that team. And so uh, I'm excited to, to not just see what God has done, but I'm excited about what He already has done. Amen. Look what the Lord has done. Uh, I remember your well, the previous pastor, Pastor Dax, pioneering in Eagleby. Uh, and I used to speak to him on a Monday morning just to be um, encouraged, but also laugh at all of the crazy, amazing, sometimes dangerous stories that were coming out of the early stages of the Eagleby Church. Uh, and now look what the Lord has done, a great thriving church that has a, a powerful song service team, right? Uh, that was amazing. So uh, keep it up. Let's see what God does here in the future. It's no doubt going to be great things. All right. If you want a Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. And I just want to say that uh, over the next few days, I really want to encourage you that as you come to church, come with an open heart. Come ready to receive as Brother Hemi prayed tonight. Come expectant, believing that God can move and God could speak to you and touch you. 
Uh, and let's believe that God really will do those things. You know, the, the uh, flyer, it says, find your purpose. And, you know, Bobby and Pastor Bobby and I, we strategized and thought, you know, a lot of people, they don't know identity. They don't know their purpose. That would be a great theme. Uh, and finding your purpose is something that we will consider over the next few days. Uh, but we're going to look at different dynamics that ultimately will help us towards that. And tonight, what we're going to do is we are going to start this revival by diving into a pretty serious topic. And so God really put this on my heart. It probably wouldn't have been my first choice. I know coming into a revival, it's, it's great to kind of win people to yourself, first message. Uh, you want to kind of show them you're a nice person. You want to preach something that's going to inspire them to come back tomorrow night. Uh, but God put this on my heart and I couldn't shake it. I even went to Pastor Bobby before church tonight when I'm in the prayer room and I said, is there anything you want me to preach? Do you know, is there any topic you want me to tackle? I was kind of wrestling with God because I know that this one is going to be confronting. I know that this one tonight is going to probably uh, expose some things that you need to get right. But I, I really just want to encourage you that if we truly would get this right, then everything else in our life will be stable, will prosper, will flow, will work. Any of the good words that you want to add, but we got to get this area right. And so if you would open your heart, I'm going to believe for good things for us all tonight. We'll get to our text in a moment. We're going to read the first nine verses of Acts chapter 9. We've all probably heard of Peter Pan before, right? Peter Pan... Um, is your name Peter? Any, any Peters here? The one in the front row, here we go. Peter's up here. Any other Peters? We've heard of Peter Pan. You know, Peter Pan, he would go to a place called Neverland. And at Neverland, what would transpire is the people that were there, they would remain young. They would remain young, wouldn't they? They wouldn't age. They wouldn't get older. Some of the ladies are like, book me to Neverland tonight. <laughs> Uh, but that's what would happen. And one of the things that accompanies remaining young, not aging, is you remain responsibility free. And ultimately, the whole mindset of going to Neverland is truly just a refusal to grow up. That's what it is. It's just a refusal to grow up. So, we, under, we understand it uh, when it comes to Peter Pan, but I want to talk tonight about spiritual Neverland because I believe that this mindset is a major issue for our culture and for our society today. And, you know, as I think about our Christian journeys and I think about the context of church, you know, the reality is we gather together in a room, don't we? That's ultimately what the church is. It's the ecclesia. That's the Greek word for church. And it means those called out to gather uh, and worship God ultimately. But we are here tonight gathering in a room. And all of us tonight are going to hear the same message from the same book about the same God. Yet the reality is maybe some here tonight, but definitely on a consistent basis in churches all over the world, there will be people who just do not grow. There'll be people who do not change. There'll be people who do not progress. There'll be people who remain spiritually immature. And why is that? Well, I believe that the root cause is ultimately just a lack of willingness 
to truly surrender and be converted. Now, we have no problems with calling ourselves Christians, right? But truly be converted. There's a really big difference. I know that both those words start with the letter C. And some of us can just connect them and say it's the same definition, it's the same word. Well, there's a difference between a a person who calls themselves a Christian and somebody who is truly converted. You see, conversion, it brings transformation. You don't remain the same. It's night and day. It's completely different. Conversion always triggers growth. Responsibility, a desire for spiritual maturity. Conversion always triggers you and I to lay down our old mindsets, our old habits. Conversion is powerful. And let me just say this as well. It is supernatural. It's a work of God. And conversion truly is the foundation of spiritual longevity. How many people want to be Christians until the end of the year? Right? We, we all do, but how many Christians, or how many people rather, want to be Christians for the rest of your life? All of us, hopefully. No, I'm just hoping to put in five years, a good solid run, then I'll retire, go back to my old life. You see, spiritual longevity is dependent on you truly being converted. So we're going to consider that topic of conversion in a sermon entitled Spiritual Neverland. Let's read together Acts chapter 9, verse 1 to 9 says these words and we're focusing on the Apostle Paul, previously known as Saul, says these words, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and he asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus. So that if he found any who were of the way, that's referring to Christians, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you persecute, who you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice and seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. Spiritual Neverland, I'm going to pray tonight. Father, I pray that through your word, you would illuminate the areas of our life that we truly need to lay down at an altar. God, illuminate the areas of our life that we're holding on to and we're unwilling to surrender. And I pray, bring a deep conviction that would bring change. God, we break condemnation because we know that's not from you. But we open up our hearts, God, and we allow you to deal with the very core of who we are to bring conversion. God, help us tonight through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to consider two primary things. And the first thing that I want us to consider together is how conversion brings radical change. That's what conversion does. It brings radical change. Now, some people make the mistake of saying that a relationship with God 
is measured purely by a level of moral conduct. They will say that their good behavior, their good deeds are what ultimately connect them to God. They will say that their good moral behavior makes them righteous, makes them a Christian or makes them saved, right? Other people, they will link their country of origin to their connection with God. Well, I'm an Aussie. And in Australia, we're founded on Christian values, that's what we say, and therefore I'm a Christian by default. Maybe you come from the South Pacific, one of the islands. How Christian is it there, right? Sunday, everything's shut down because everyone's in church, right? My wife's from Tuvalu. I can make island comments periodically and, and I don't, you don't have to beat me up afterwards. <laughs> My wife uh, and my brother-in-law here tonight as well from Tuvalu, one of the things that would be very prevalent in that country is they would honor the Sabbath. I know that when my wife was there as a teenager, she went swimming on a Sunday and some guys came out and were annoyed with her. What are you doing? You can't be swimming. It's Sunday. But these very same people wait until the clock ticks 12 and they hit the pub straight away. So here they are trying to honor some moral conduct, thinking it somehow connects them to God, but they're very quick to compromise in other areas that pleases their flesh. But we can do that, right? We can link our country of origin to our connection to God. You know, sometimes we say, oh, I've, I've always been saved, right? You've witnessed to someone and said, hey, you should come to church. No, I'm a Christian. Hey, oh, oh yeah, what church do you go to? Oh, I don't go to church. Okay, uh, how do you know you have a relationship with God? Oh, I've always been saved. Why is that? Oh, because, you know, my parents went to church and my grandma went to church and, you know, there's a picture of Jesus that hangs on the wall in my lounge room. So, you know, we've always been saved in my family. We're Christians. It's what we do as a family. You know, we, we, we're Christians. See, these are incorrect views of what it means to truly be a convert. Another error is people think that they become a Christian by choosing to align themselves with a church. I go to the potter's house in Bean Lee. I'm a Christian. I, I don't want to be offensive, but that's an incorrect view of what it means to be a convert of Jesus. Because you can align yourself with a church and call a church your home. You can even comply with the core principles of a religion. You can be committed to the program. You can have the calendar on the fridge and you can circle and highlight and do absolutely everything on the calendar. Maybe you could become really Bible educated. I mean, you know heaps of scripture. I mean, you can quote it. You, you know how to, you don't even need to carry it anymore because it is so, so much in your head. You are a walking Bible in your opinion. I'm Bible educated. We can embrace some disciplines and moral behaviors, but I don't want to burst your bubble, but I kind of do. These really do fall short of what the Bible describes as real conversion. Jesus spoke with a religious man in John chapter 3. His name was Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was a Jewish man and he was what the Bible calls a Pharisee. We've heard of Pharisees and Sadducees before, right? These are the religious people that crucified Jesus. But you see, a Jewish Pharisee, one of the things that he would have done from the age of five is he would have set out culturally to begin to memorize the first five books of the Bible. This is called the Pentateuch, the Torah, it's the law of Moses. 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, these first five books of the Bible, you know those ones that you haven't read yet because they're kind of hard to read? You know those ones? Well, from the age of five, they begin to memorize them. And by the time they hit their teens, they've memorized it off by heart. They can literally quote and speak from Genesis all the way through to the conclusion of the fifth book of the Bible. That's pretty serious dedication. They're moral people, Pharisees. And Nicodemus was a moral man. He was compliant. He was committed to his religion. He was really committed. Let's just say it like this. He was more committed than anyone else when it came to his religion. That's what Pharisees were. But he felt like something was amiss. And so you know the story. He goes to Jesus by night. He doesn't want the other Pharisees. He doesn't want his boys to see him going to Jesus. This one that they're actually plotting to kill. This one that they don't truly believe is actually the Messiah. And he goes to Jesus by night and he, he says to him, what, do I, what am I missing? I'm doing this, I'm doing that. But there's something amiss inside of me. And Jesus answered him that very well-known, powerful statement and he says unless a man be born again he cannot see the kingdom of heaven that's what Jesus says he doesn't kind of fluff over it with him and stroke his ego and say you're so good you've been so committed and faithful he just gets straight to it because ultimately this guy has an open heart he's seeking he wants to know and so he says unless a man is born again he cannot see the kingdom of God Jesus taught him that he needed to be born again. And he actually goes into detail and breaks it down. Not physically, but spiritually. You see, the principle that Jesus is emphasizing is this reality you and I need to grasp tonight. And it's that human beings are lost. Human beings are separated from God because of our sin. Ultimately, what Jesus is revealing to Nicodemus is you and I, outside of a personal relationship with Jesus and a truly surrendered conversion experience, what Jesus is saying, don't look at me, what Jesus is saying is we are spiritually dead. We're not even alive unless we are born again. That's what Jesus is communicating. Simply adhering to some religious program is not enough. That's what he's telling Nicodemus. There must be a supernatural conversion, listen, of the heart and of the mind. That is what needs to be converted, our heart and our mind. And what happens when our heart and our mind is converted is our lifestyle changes. We don't change our lifestyle in order to change ourselves internally. We are transformed from the inside out. You need to be converted in your heart and in your mind in order to have a real relationship with God. And in our text here in Acts chapter 9, we see a miracle conversion. We're talking about Saul, a great enemy of the Christian movement, a great, great enemy of the way. He is breathing threats of murder against the disciples. He's got letters from the, the state dignitaries, the city officials, to imprison and murder anyone who professes Jesus Christ as Messiah. So we're talking about an enemy of the Christian movement. And here he is, he wants to kill them. He thought their belief was wrong, but he has an encounter where everything that he thought he knew to be true 
was thrown on the ground in light of Jesus. He was converted. He was born again. And then we know Paul goes on to become this incredible influencer of the gospel that he previously opposed. That's powerful. A few verses after where we concluded here tonight in Acts 9, verse 20 and 21, it says this. So now Paul has had this encounter. He's had this conversion experience. He's been born again. And it says immediately he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, is this not he who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem? And has he come here for that purpose? so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests. So here are the people freaking out about the transformation, the radical change of this man. Again, conversion brings radical change. And it's observable. People can see it. Now we're considering this phrase, born again. And Jesus broke that down with Nicodemus. He said, no, you don't need to climb back up in your mother's womb and come out again he literally said that I know it sounds gross don't visualize it Uh, but that's what he says to Nicodemus now that phrase born again in the Greek it's the word anogeneo and what that means it means to be recreated from above that's a powerful image and what that reveals is that it's not an education process or something that you grow into when you have a conversion experience It's not an education process and it's not something that you grow into. There is a recreation from above. There is a supernatural intervention and your life begins to change incredibly and radically. Now the truth is, listen, going to church doesn't make you any more a Christian than anybody else. It really doesn't. Just like maybe walking into a garage doesn't make you a car. But what if you decided you wanted to become a car? I really want to be a car. I want to be a Ferrari. The Aussies want to be a Holden or a Ford. What would it take for you to become a car? I'll just, I'll just do what cars do, right? I'll just roll down the street, just honk my horn. I'll, I'll sleep in the garage. I'll do what cars do to become a car. If you knew somebody that said, bro, I'm just, I'm becoming a car, eh? And they start sleeping in the garage. They start, what, topping themselves up with oil all the, you'd think that they are a weird person, right? But the reality is there are many people who view Christianity through that lens. I'm going to go to this building to be a Christian. I'm just going to begin to do what Christians do. I'm just going to do what I feel is morally right. I'm going to buy a nice looking Bible. What sort of Bibles everyone got around here? I'm going to buy one like theirs. I'm just going to begin to do what Christians do because I want to be a Christian. You see, if you were to become a car, it would take a creative miracle, right? It would be an absolute miracle. And it's exactly the same. If a human being is going to become a Christian, going to become Christ-like, leave their old thought processes behind, leave their old heart desires behind. Literally, ditch the addictions, get rid of the sinful cravings. Listen, a miracle is required. You don't just begin to behave a certain way 
in order to convert yourself. This anogeneo process is required. God literally creating you afresh. That's what's required. Now listen, the person who won't forgive, the person who wants to hold on to the grudge, the person who picks and chooses what sort of scriptures they want to apply to their life and reject the other ones, don't believe in tithing. I went really quiet. <laughs> People are like, pray, pray. Oh. <laughs> don't believe in forgiveness. See, the person who, like Peter Pan, just wants to remain young, refuses to take responsibility for their marriage. They see it's a mess, but they won't do anything about it. The person who won't take responsibility for their children or their finances or their mind that is absolutely wrecked and wreaking havoc. Listen, that person is choosing to live in spiritual Neverland. And it's a sign that they're not converted. I'm not saying that they're evil. We can't talk to them. But it's a sign that they haven't had this true encounter where they've laid it all down and surrendered and allowed God to recreate them. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. You see, the old life passing away, a metamorphosis, a radical transformation. It, this, is a, this is a phrase that we love to say in our church. It doesn't happen through behavior modification. It happens through soul transformation. If your life is going to be radically changed, if you're going to be converted, it's not about adopting new behaviors externally in order to bring some sort of conversion internally. It's the soul that is transformed that transforms the external person. Are you with me tonight? We need to be converted. Conversion brings radical change. Let's conclude by really focusing in on something that's important. And it's the revelation that brings conversion. Because we need a revelation tonight. Why is it that many people fail to have this revelation that they need to be converted? Why is it that they can be comfortable living a life that is truly missing what they need? How can they reason with their conscience? How can they deny the reality of Jesus? How can they reject the promptings of the Holy Spirit and be comfortable remaining defeated and in sin for the rest of their life, but still carry the title of Christian? But still carry the Bible and walk in and, and I get it. We're often going through a process and we're... I'm not saying that you're never going to be tempted. Being tempted doesn't mean that you're sinning. Jesus was tempted. But when you lean into the temptation and you begin to embrace and pick up and, and pursue and go after and, and stay at what it is that God is trying to deliver you from, why do people choose to do that? It's ultimately because they haven't had the revelation that brings conversion. And one of the main reasons for that is firstly, I believe that a lot of people view Christianity incorrectly. They think Christianity is all about God meeting their needs. They think Christianity is just getting their spiritual top up, their spiritual fix. Right? This is our community here in Logan. Everyone's in church on a Sunday. 
some form of church because it's a spiritual fix that they feel will just prop them up and give them a little bit of happiness to get through the rest of the day. In our text, Saul of Tarsus, he was full-on devoted and passionate to Jesus. But he was also full-on and passionate about killing Christians, right? He was converted because he had a revelation. What, 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 what ultimately was that revelation? What took him from being a self-righteous, proud, ignorant person to this place of conversion? Well, verse 3 of our text in Acts 9, it tells us that a light shone from heaven. Jesus himself dealt with him and begins to expose his wrongs and it brought conversion. We are talking about an encounter with Jesus, an encounter with the Holy Ghost. And also what, what's really being magnified here that we got to grasp tonight is he had a revelation of his own sinfulness. Have you read through the book of Romans? Have you realized you're a sinner? We've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. You are a sinner. I am a sinner. Saul was a sinner. And it was the revelation of the depth and the depravity of his sin that caused him to convert. We know that he refers to himself in his letters as the chief of all sinners. That's humility. Because we're speaking about a man who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. We literally build our lives on some of the principles of his writing. But he, no, he never forgets where he came from. He's the chief of all sinners. You see, conversion is the result of a revelation of you and I humbly coming to terms with our sinfulness. That's what it is. Conversion, it's the result of a revelation of us humbly coming to terms with our sinfulness. We've got to grasp that. Because right there, that one statement, it dispels everything that we spoke about all through that first point, about how people can think they're a convert, think they're a believer, because they align themselves with some core principles. They, they're doing some behaviors, their family, their culture. No, no, no. Conversion is the result of a revelation of us humbly coming to terms with our sinfulness. That on our own, in our sin, we are lost, we are destined and hopeless. We're destined rather for a hopeless destruction of hell. That freedom, that change is only found in surrender to Jesus. We must realize that we're lost so that we can truly be found. If, if we don't have the revelation that we are lost in our sin, we will never find the freedom in grace. We'll never find it. You know, I was sitting in maths when I began to realize that I might not be right with God. Pastor Bobby and I, were talking to each other in maths. He pulls out a book called What to Do If You're Left Behind. It's a book on the last days. And he begins sharing the gospel with me. As far as I was concerned, I was a Christian. As far as I was concerned, I was right with God. But as he shared the gospel with me, it began to dawn on me, I wasn't right with God at all. That my sin was separating me from a holy God. 
that because of my lifestyle and my choices and my rejection of Jesus as my Savior, that I was very, very likely going to go to a devil's hell if I was to die. This was on a Thursday in maths. On the Saturday night, I was sitting in a concert. And at the altar call, the man begins to preach. And I begin to hear the gospel. And I realized, I had the revelation that I was a sinner in desperate need of a savior. And I received Jesus as my Lord and he instantly began to change my heart and my mind. And because of that conversion experience, my lifestyle began to change. No longer did I want to do some of the things that I did daily. No longer did I want to go on the websites that I used to go on. No longer did I want to smoke this or drink that or no longer did I think it was appropriate to take what I wanted from the shops without paying for it. You know what I'm talking about? My lifestyle began to change. But it only began to change because my mind and my heart was surrendered to Jesus Christ. I experienced a conversion. And I'll be honest with us tonight, if, if we can't compute and communicate what I just said, we haven't had that revelation. I'm not asking you to stand and talk about the church and what scriptures you can quote. And, but can you pinpoint the moment when you had the revelation that your sin would send you to a devil's hell? That you needed to lay down your pride, your ego, everything that you thought you knew. You had to lay down your heart and your mind so that your life could change. Until we can realize and have that revelation and pinpoint it to that moment. Ultimately, we're probably living in spiritual neverland. And no one else can do that for you. No one else can have that revelation for you. You need to have it yourself. Listen, just because, I want to say this tonight, just because you're raised in church doesn't mean you're a Christian. Just because you're raised in church doesn't mean your name is written in heaven. Just because your parents are saved doesn't mean you are. Every person needs to come to a place of revelation and take their own sovereign right at free will and make a choice to repent to put their faith in the shed blood of Jesus to make him Lord of all. You know, I was 17 when I gave my life to Jesus. I'd experienced a bunch of life, but I was still young. And I made that decision and I was converted. You might be thinking, I'm too young. You're not too young, if you can understand what I'm saying right now. Conversion is incredibly powerful. Verse 5 to 7 of our text, it gives us this powerful breakdown of Paul asking two of the greatest questions in all of life. He asks this after having this encounter with Jesus and this conversion experience. He says, who are you, God, and what do you want me to do? Who are you, Lord, and what do you want me to do? Now, that right there is a picture of genuine conversion. It's a picture of surrender. He's communicating firstly, I want to know you, Lord, on a deeper level. Who are you? I want to know you. 
I want to connect with you. I need you to speak to me. Uh, I, I can experience this, but I need to know you. And secondly, what do you want me to do? That's a picture of surrender. That's a picture of conversion. How desperate are you to know the Lord on a deeper level? When was the last time you truly asked God for his input on what it is that you're called to do in this world? We make these plans. We want God to bless our plans. How about you align yourself with his plan? Because he blesses his plans. Who are you, Lord? What do you want me to do? And the Apostle Paul, he went on to live this incredibly influential and fulfilled life. Listen, that's what God has for you. It's in conversion that you will know Jesus and you'll know his plans. The reality is there are many people that align themselves with the church that don't know Jesus and don't know his plans. They've cleaned themselves up externally, but they still don't know Jesus and they don't know his plans. It's a sad reality. You will experience the great things that God has planned for you if you would truly be converted. Listen, tonight, if you're not converted, you need to get converted. And let me just say this, if you're unsure, well, you're probably not converted. If you're unsure, if it's kind of like, I don't know if I'm converted. Like, after hearing everything he said, I mean... I've been really faithful to church. I carry my Bible here every service and quote some scriptures. I love that worship song we sang, You Are My Champion. Again, if you haven't had the revelation that you are a sinner and you haven't had that surrender experience where you've truly laid down your mind and your heart and you can pinpoint that as the reason that you're actually saved, not all the stuff you do, if you're doubting, and I'm not saying that you're just having a wrestle, like, am I really forgiven? If you don't know, you're probably not converted. And, and can I just say that that's not a bad thing because you're here and you're listening and you're receiving. And if it's dawning on you that you're not converted, well, in a couple of minutes, you're going to have an opportunity to be converted and it will be the greatest decision of your life and the most wonderful celebration for all of us to join with you in your decision of humility. That's a great thing. I want you to ask yourself some hard questions as we begin to wrap this up tonight. Am I growing? Am I changing? Or am I drifting backwards? Ask yourself, have I lost passion for Jesus? Have I compromised on once strong convictions you once had a line drawn in the sand. There are some carnal things that you just simply will not do. But now you're back indulging in that music you said you'd never listen to, watching those movies you said you never would, dressing, speaking, behaving inappropriately without any conviction. Ask yourself, do I, do I still have an awareness of the weight of my sin? Or are you comfortable in sin? You see, when we have a real, humble, life-altering encounter with God, 
It brings change. It brings a peace. It brings an assurance. We, we have power over our sin. You know the people that constantly go back to their sin? Habitually, they need conversion. Sometimes we can try and just whip our flesh into submission. It's easier to just obey God than wrestle with your sin and your flesh. Just submit and surrender, lay it down and be converted. You'll have power over your sin because of conversion. You'll have a passion to mature. You're not satisfied with being in that state forever. You want to get to the next level. Take responsibility, be accountable, move forward. You see, spiritual neverland, it is temporarily comfortable. It is, but it's eternally costly. Tonight, move out of spiritual neverland, experience radical change through a revelation of sin and our need of a saviour bow your heads. I want to pray for you tonight. Father, I plead the blood right now over this altar and over this congregation. We ask God that you would speak to us and transform us. Bring change and conversion in Jesus' name. The Holy Spirit's dealing with you. I'm not going to tarry for long. You are unsaved or you're backslidden and you want to be born again. You want to be recreated from above. You need the anogeneo. You need God's power to transform you, to radically change your life. Listen, you may have been compliant externally. You may have been doing things uh, that, that you feel uh, behaviorally makes you right with God. I want to tell you tonight, very graciously, I'm not judging or criticizing. Uh, listen, it might just be naivety, but I'm here to tell you tonight, it is a supernatural, spiritual conversion experience. Are you having the revelation right now that you're just not right with God? There's no shame. There's no condemnation in Jesus we're launching this revival with this message specifically, knowing if we get this right, everything else in our life will flow. We could have looked at something about evangelism or prayer or worship, but listen, we can do those things but not be right with Jesus. We need to get this right so that everything else in our life flows and prospers. Come on, conversion is the key to longevity and spiritual maturity. If you're in spiritual neverland, you're not growing up, you're not maturing, you're not progressing, you're constantly bound to things. You need deliverance, you need freedom. What you need, friend, is you need conversion. That's you. The Holy Spirit is moving upon hearts right now. And you want to pray. You want to truly be converted. You want your life to be radically changed for the rest of eternity. Just do something with me. Put up your hand and put it back down. Say, I need to be converted. Thank you. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. Hands going up all across this place. Come on. It doesn't matter who you are. I see your hand. You may be serving in a different place. You might you might even feel that, that, that you're right, but the Holy Spirit is dealing with you right now. I'm not right with God. Come on, let this be a clean slate. Thanks, I see your hand. Let this be a, I see your hand. Let it be a clean slate. Say, I'm going to start afresh. I'm going to start afresh. And I'm going to begin to allow the transformation to come from inside. 
Come on, if you're already doing all the external things, praise God. But get it right internally. Pastor Bobby's not going to judge. No one else is going to judge. We're preaching for you tonight. Come on, I'm not preaching at you. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching for you so that you would be edified and connected to God. It only happens through conversion. You're unsure tonight. You need to get right. If you have an inkling of doubt, the slightest doubt, you need to get right. Say, I don't know, but I want to be converted. Just put up your hand and put it back down. Young people, I see your hand. I see your hand. Thank you. Young people, come on. You're not sliding into heaven because your parents are prayer warriors. Because your parents are great worship singers. Because your parents serve in ministry. You need to have your own relationship. Are you able to articulate and communicate that the reason that you are going to heaven is because you've had a radical conversion experience? I'm not saying that you are out slinging crack and robbing banks and you can testify of this incredible transformation of lifestyle. Listen, you can be in church your whole life and never know God. And it's those people that get converted, I think is incredibly powerful. When they have that revelation that they're not right, that they're a sinner. That's you. You're a young person and you want to get right tonight. You want to go on record. Thanks, I see your hand. You want to say, it's not about what my parents say or what my parents do, but tonight, this is me and Jesus. No one's looking around. I'm going to get right. I want to have the assurance. I'm going to be born again. Put up your hand. I want to be converted. Thanks. Hands going up all across this place. Anyone else? Just put it up. Thanks. I see your hand. Awesome. Awesome. Praise God tonight. Hands going up all across this place. Young people responding. Thank you. I see your hand. My last call, unsaved, backslidden. Thank you. I see your hand. You want to get right tonight. Many hands. What we're going to do is we're going to pray in a moment. But before we open the altar to everyone, I'm going to invite every person that raised their hand to come. Come on, this altar is going to be filled just with you. So you stand, come out of your chair. Stand here at the front, push right forward to the altar. I'm going to lead you through a prayer. Don't wait. Come on, hands went up all across this place. Many hands went up. Don't delay. Maybe you didn't respond, but you're seeing all these others and you're saying, I'm going to go. Now's going to be the time that I'm converted. I'm going to go all in tonight. I'm going to get it right internally so that externally things begin to align. I've been doing things externally for so long, but it's dawned on me. I've never had that revelation, but you know now you're not right. And you want to get right. Come on, you haven't yet responded. Come out of your chair. Everyone else, close your eyes, bow your heads. But those that want to pray, come. My last call, come out of your chair. Right, those here at this altar, I just want you to lift up your hands and pray this out loud. Just say, Lord Jesus, I'm thankful that you love me. And tonight I confess that I am a sinner and I need you to forgive me. I need your blood to wash me clean. I receive you into my life to be my Lord and my Savior. I want this moment 
to go down in history as my conversion experience where transformation begins, where the old is left behind. I commit tonight to spiritual maturity. I want you to use my life and I don't want to be held back by anything in this world. Transform my mind and transform my heart. Thank you for loving me and thank you for forgiving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. You can just kneel down where you are and begin to pray. And church, the rest of you, these altars are open. You come and you find a place tonight. Slip out of your chair. Come and pray. Maybe the altars are already filled. You want to pray in the aisle, in your chair. I don't know how it works here, but I want you to pray.